Welcome to the Truth Hurts program. I'm your host, Steve Z. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize in advance if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Please enjoy the program. Good morning, everybody. It's Groundhog's Day. That's right. Groundhog Day 2021, February 2nd. Second day of the second month of the mopey, dopey, little girl, gropey administration of Joe Biden. The Groundhog today, according to officials at Gobbler's Knob, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, have come out saying the Groundhog saw its shadow. And therefore, we are all in for six more weeks of winter. And just like any Democrat-controlled state, Pennsylvania is using lies, deceit, and other dastardly means to predict and prognosticate a fabrication of facts, a false prediction, a phony dossier, if you will, of its own. Today, supposedly, the groundhog saw its shadow and called for six more weeks of a long, cold, hard winter. Legend has it, if Puxatawney Phil sees his shadow, he supposedly goes back and hides in his basement for another six weeks of winter. Pennsylvania is in the throes of a blizzard today, boys and girls, which means the skies are clouded over, The sunlight cannot pierce through the dense cloud cover and the snow. And yet, Puxatawney Phil's handlers this morning at 7.25 Eastern Time came out and read from a prepared scroll teleprompter that Phil has allegedly seen his shadow. It reminds me very much of one mopey, dopey, little girl, gropey Joe Biden. Check out these similarities. Joe Biden spent the entire campaign, all of last year, hiding in his basement. In fact, he was at his house, his basement, not the White House, the last few days because, according to media reports, some kind of way, the POTUS, the commander-in-chief, managed to lock himself out of the residence at the White House after firing the longtime butler who serves presidents. But let me get back to the groundhog. The groundhog, much like Joe Biden, spent all this past winter in his basement, uh, burrow. Joe Biden emerges once in a while with so-called handlers providing him with either pieces of paper or a teleprompter, and he does try desperately to read exactly what his handlers have written. Although we know he stutters and stumbles and stammers and mumbles and fumbles through reading right off of a teleprompter or right off of a sheet of paper. Check out these similarities. Joe Biden reads exactly what his handlers write. Now the groundhog as well was held by a handler and a group of older white men in trench coats were surrounding the groundhog, much like Joe Biden gets surrounded by a bunch of old white men who tell him what to do and what to say. The handler read what the handler wanted you to hear this morning. I'm still talking about the groundhog. 
The groundhog was held by his handler and rolled out this scroll and said some little clever poem about it being a pandemic year and having to do this virtually. Joe Biden predicted a long, cold winter, if you recall, during the campaign, during the election. He predicted a long, cold, hard winter in the U.S. due to the overhyped, overreported, overexaggerated Wuhan, China novel coronavirus pandemic. The groundhog came out and predicted six more weeks of a long, cold, hard winter. You see the similarities? Joe Biden looks like a feeble, senile, old dementia patient, shaking and shivering and stuttering and stammering. And the groundhog looks like it was drugged, eyes glazed over, shaking in the arms of a crew of the old white men holding on to him. See the similarities? Now here's where it gets really scary, folks. The similarities between gropey Joe Biden and Puxatawney Phil, the groundhog. Joe Biden has been fed a pack of lies about the pandemic, the economy, the climate, the will of the people, immigration, and many, many other matters. And he simply spouts whatever is written on his teleprompter, his cue cards, or his scrolls. Joe Biden can't accept the fact that Donald Trump did a good job controlling the pandemic, something that hadn't been seen in this country in a hundred years. He did a great job controlling the pandemic early on when he shut down travel from China, when he convened the White House Coronavirus Task Force, when he implemented the Presidential Production Act to ramp up manufacturing of respirators, ventilators, and personal protective equipment. His record timing, development, and testing of a vaccine, the initial rollout of the vaccine, and his overall success in controlling the actual predicted death count. If you recall, Biden and his team throughout the campaign said, if Donald Trump keeps doing things the way he's doing, there's going to be three and a half million people dead from COVID. And even with their fake counts, with their over-exaggerated counting of deaths, with their application saying that it was a COVID death when it was really a motorcycle wreck or an explosion or a fire or cancer or a heart attack, we came nowhere near the dire predictions of Joe Biden. Now, Puxatawney Phil has been sitting in his basement, uninformed. And he was pulled out this morning, eyes glazed over. His handlers looked at the camera, knowing there's no way he saw his shadow, even though... It was cloudy, snowy, and the only way he would have seen any shadow would have been in the glare of the television lights and not the sun. The media and his handlers had a predetermined prediction, typed up, ready to be read. Even though the nation knows there's no way the groundhog saw his shadow, just like the nation knows there's no way Donald Trump mishandled the virus. Similarities. The handlers have to make us believe that we are in for Gropey Joe's long, cold, hard winter because that's what Joe said. And now the handlers want us to believe there's going to be six more weeks of brutal winter because supposedly a groundhog saw its shadow 
today when there's no way in hell he could have. It was a setup. The spring, like the election, has been stolen from us. Just like the election was stolen by Gropey Joe. You should be outraged. You should demand a recount, a reassessment of the conditions, of the lighting setup. Someone should do an in-depth investigation into the handlers of Joe Biden, uh, 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 Punxsutawney Phil. But whatever you do, make sure you protest peacefully. Otherwise, they'll blame Donald Trump for insurrection and citing a riot. And, of course, animal abuse. Could it be that the textile industry is behind this farce, this phony prediction of six more weeks of winter? Could it be that all the Democrat liberal lockdowns over the past year have caused clothing stores to not sell as much winter weather clothing? You know, jackets, scarves, hats, mittens and such. And that they got to the groundhog? They want six more weeks of winter. They need six more weeks of winter so they can sell all of those mittens. After all, the one pair of mittens on Bernie Sanders while seated at the inauguration is not enough to bail out the textile industry. First it was murder hornets. Now it's Groundhog Day abuse. I'm just waiting on Boudreaux the Nutria in New Orleans to accurately predict whether we get an extended winter or an early spring. His record is 89% more accurate over the past 20 years than the Groundhog's predictions are anyway. Perhaps as a nation, we need to consider term limits for all weather-predicting rodents because it's long, long overdue. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. The heat is on and the internal pressure is now building in Congress for Democrat Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Horseface-Cortez to apologize for her false claim that Senator Ted Cruz almost had her murdered when he objected to the Electoral College results on January 6th. Democrats love playing the victim card. They love to claim they were offended whenever Republicans say or do anything that the Democrats don't like or don't agree with. A letter to Speaker of the House Nasty Nancy Pelosi was obtained by the Washington Examiner. It shows that 13 Republicans in the House of Representatives joined Representative Chip Roy on Monday, yesterday, demanding that Alexandria Horseface Cortez apologize to Senator Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas. The letter said, quote, It has come to our attention that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sent out a tweet in which she accused Senator Cruz, in essence, of attempted murder. We believe this is completely unacceptable behavior for a member of Congress to make this kind of scurrilous charge against another member in the House or Senate for simply engaging in speech and debate regarding electors as they interpreted the Constitution. We ask you to call on her to immediately apologize and retract her comments. It is our sincere hope that we stop all this heightened rhetoric and move forward to actually do the work the American people sent us 
here to do. Roy, Weber, Fallon, Bud, Bobert, Heiss, LaMalfa, Sessions, Burgess, Jackson, Moore, Cawthorn, Harrell, and Duncan were the last names of the others who signed on to this joint letter demanding that Ocasio-Cortez apologize to Senator Cruz for the unfounded, unsupported, unsubstantiated lie that he almost got her killed. He first sent the letter, Roy did, to Pelosi demanding that she apologize back on Thursday. Roy is a former top Senate aide to Cruz before he won the House seat in 2018. And he said if she, Alexandria Ocasio-Horseface-Cortez, does not apologize, we will be forced to find alternative means to condemn the regrettable statement. That could include censuring the horseface. In a radio interview last week, Representative Roy said he had talked about the issue with Alexandria Horseface-Cortez, a woman who won her seat in the House by beating a member of the House Democratic leadership in the primary. Representative Roy told the Todd Starn Show on Friday on the radio, we've had a heartfelt, sincere conversation. She has very sincere concerns about some of the rhetoric, some of the pictures that have been posted and stuff, but a lot of these things are things that wouldn't necessarily bother you or me. He doesn't seem to be making any progress on coming to an agreement about whether or not her statement was appropriate. He says, I'm trying to find ways in which we can agree to disagree. And we're having a tough time doing that, I'll be honest. I'm trying to figure out how to cut through this very strong, clear cultural divide and figure out how we can engage in speech and debate under the Constitution and begin to lead this country forward. Ted Cruz last week offered an olive branch of peace to Horseface Cortez when he tweeted that he fully agreed that the trading app Robinhood should be investigated after it was at the center of the unusual trading activity surrounding GameStop, AMC theaters, and others. In a response, of course, Ocasio-Cortez was butthurt, so she blasted Cruz for his objection to certifying the Electoral College results last month. She blames him for encouraging or sparking the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Cruz, at that time, had led a group of 11 senators calling for an electoral commission to conduct a 10-day emergency audit of the November 3rd questionable election results. There's nothing wrong with that. Democrats call for special investigations all the time. Look at the entire Trump presidency. Phony investigation after sham investigation after false investigation, which all yielded absolute acquittal for Donald Trump. Now, even though we have proof that the violence at the Capitol on January 6th could not have possibly been the result of Donald Trump's speech on January 6th, because evidence has been presented, even in the New York slimes, even in the Washington Post, that the FBI and other agencies knew two or more days in advance of what was going to happen at the Capitol. Still, Alexandria Horseface Cortez tries to blame Ted Cruz 
for the violence? She tweeted, I'm happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago, so you can't sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. She's such a piece of crap. Just a walking, talking piece of human scat. Representative Roy, though he said he thought Ocasio-Cortez's comment went too far, was not even on the same side as Cruz during the Electoral College objection fight. He had actually publicly opposed the move by Cruz to object to electors. In fact, it was Representative Roy who, through parliamentary procedure before January 6th, attempted to expose what he called hypocrisy in the move to try and decertify electors in the Electoral College. But he's right. Alexandria Ocasio Horseface Cortez definitely owes Senator Ted Cruz an apology because he did not try to get her killed. He was just doing his job as he was elected to do. And he had legitimate questions about the authenticity of the vote that led to the Electoral College vote. And that is the way America works. Someone, if I were Ted Cruz, should consider maybe suing her for defamation, libel or slander, or whatever legal means is available to them. Because now claiming that he attempted to murder her, well, that could be tarnishing to his personal reputation. And that is a tort compensatory offense. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And of course, the double standard is alive and kicking. You may or may not have heard about a controversial Republican representative, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Well, top Democrats are moving to force Ms. Greene off of multiple committees this week with or without Kevin McCarthy's help. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer delivered an ultimatum to Kevin McCarthy on Monday. He said either Republicans move on their own to strip Ms. Green, the Republican of Georgia, from her committee assignments within 72 hours, or Democrats will bring the issue to the House floor. Now, what's the difference between what Ms. Green has done and what Alexandria Horseface Cortez has done? Likely, there's no difference at all. The Democrats, well, they're pissed off, and their fury comes amid their discussions in the Democrat caucus over Green's long record of alleged incendiary rhetoric. Yes, the nasty Democrats claim that Miss Green has peddled conspiracy theories that the nation's deadliest mass shootings were staged. She also supposedly endorsed violence against Speaker Nasty Nancy Pelosi and other top Democrats before she was elected to Congress. I'm still waiting on my request for video or audio of those false claims. Now, last week, Ms. Green was officially awarded seats on the House Education and Labor Committee 
as well as the House Budget Committee. Republicans, they are not in any hurry to act. McCarthy says he's planning to have a conversation with Ms. Green about mounting controversies sometime this week. Still hasn't been scheduled, but it could take place as early as tonight. And Ms. Green, according to an article that I read in Politico, is unapologetic and shows zero contrition for her alleged past actions. She tweeted over this past weekend that she will, quote, never apologize, unquote. She even took a jab at Steny Hoyer on Monday on Twitter. She revealed plans to travel to Florida soon to meet with Donald Trump, who she said she supports 100%. Well, she'll get my vote if I were in Georgia. Democrats are already looking to make floor action if McCarthy doesn't act soon. They'll schedule a rules committee hearing on Wednesday afternoon to strip Miss Green of her committee posts. But you notice, they're not making any such effort to remove Alexandria Horseface Cortez from any of her committee posts after she lied, boldface lied, and accused Ted Cruz of trying to get her murdered. That should spark a demand for her, Alexandria Horseface Cortez, to be stripped of her committee positions. Some Republicans are warning of a dangerous new precedent if Democrats make a determination about who from the minority party is best fit to serve on committees and open up a potential tit-for-tat between two parties, especially if Republicans win back the House in 2022. While Democrats acknowledge their action is indeed controversial, they say Green's behavior and rhetoric must be forced to a stop. Well, they're not making the same demands of Alexandria Horseface Cortez now, are they? The double standard, as I always say on this program, is alive and kicking and heavily biased towards the left. Steny Hoyer said in his statement, The resolution introduced at today's pro forma would remove Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments. It is my hope and expectation that Republicans will do the right thing and hold Representative Greene accountable, and we will not need to consider this resolution, but we are prepared to do so if necessary. Again, the double standard. If I were Mr. McCarthy, I would immediately take the exact same language used by Hoyer and make a resolution aimed at censuring or removing Alexandria Horseface Cortez from her position on committees. In a call on Sunday, Steny Hoyer, Nasty Nancy Pelosi, and other top Democrats discussed several options for taking action against Ms. Green, but of course, nothing at all against Alexandria Horseface Cortez. Those options include censure, expulsion from the House, and the resolution authored by Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida is that the rules panel is considering removing her from those committee assignments as early as Wednesday. In fact, I'm going to read to you Debbie Wasserman Schultz's comment here, and then I want you to substitute Green's name out and Horseface Cortez's name in. Wasserman Schultz said before introducing her measure, We're focused on making sure we can render powerless the poisonous nature of this member. The House has to be able to take actions to police its own membership. Well, guess what? 
That also applies to the squad. That also applies to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That also applies to Maxine Waters. But you guys will not even acknowledge that what those people said was also inflammatory and vile. Democrats say they're not ruling out further action, and they say this week's move is just the first step. And the effort to force McCarthy's hand creates even more of a conundrum for Mr. McCarthy. He's under increasing pressure from Democrats to take action against Green, but he's reluctant to alienate the Trump wing of the party. In fact, Kevin McCarthy went down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss at the feet of Donald Trump just over the weekend. Folks, with all of this BS, isn't it time we demand term limits on our members of the House and Senate? And of course, the real rhino, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, he says that McCarthy should be condemning Green. He suggested that she is not living in reality, and he warned of that type of conspiracy theory as she supposedly is peddling are a cancer to the party of Republicans. McConnell said in a stupid statement, Our loony lies and conspiracy theories are a cancer for the Republican Party and our country. Somebody who suggested that perhaps no airplane hit the Pentagon on 9-11, that horrifying school shootings were pre-staged, and the Clintons crashed JFK Jr.'s airplanes is not living in reality. This has nothing to do with the challenges facing American families or the robust debates on substance that can strengthen our party. Let me tell you something, Mr. Mitch McConnell. I am not a conspiracy theory nut. I saw the airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center right there on television. And yes, the school shootings were pre-staged by the shooter, whoever decided to go in there and shoot up those schools. Whether or not the Clintons had anything to do with JFK Jr.'s airplane crashing or Congressman Hale Boggs of Louisiana way, way back is a story for another day. Over the weekend, Ms. Green claims she spoke to Donald Trump during this firestorm and she has his full backing. She followed that on Monday by telling One America News she plans to visit Trump in Florida very soon. And that could make it tougher for GOP leaders to punish Miss Green. Supposedly, she's under scrutiny for comments that she made before her time in Congress, which can always be brought back to haunt a Republican, but never, ever brought back to haunt a Democrat. So like I said at the outset of this segment, what's good for the goose is never good for the gander when the goose is of one party and the gander another. If we are to be a healing nation, the same rules must apply equally on both sides. Even Joe Biden is calling for equity and equality, right? So if Miss Green is being stripped of her committee appointments, 
then Miss Cortez and Miss Waters should also be stripped of theirs. A cold, hard comparison should be made, but it won't happen because we know how it works when the Democrats control things. And that's the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. We are in the midst of the season known as winter. The season of winter begins December 21st at the winter solstice. That point in time in our orbit around the sun where we are farthest away in the northern hemisphere. And it lasts all the way until March 21st. January to February to March. It's just the way it works. Winter, in my 57 and a half years on this planet, is usually in the Northern Hemisphere, where America lies. Cold. Yeah, cold. Cold winter. Now, we're in the midst of global warming, aren't we? Global warming, man-caused climate change, Earth temperatures rising. And yet, the groundhog is calling the climate scientists liars, saying we're going to get six more weeks of Joe Biden's cold, long, hard winter. Proof of that is the major winter storm that has left multiple people dead as it continues to trudge its way across parts of the Northeast today. And historic record snowfall has forced airports to cancel flights, as well as coronavirus distribution sites to close. As of this morning, this nor'easter had dumped 16 and a half inches of snow on Central Park in New York, 11 and a half inches of snow in Hartford, Connecticut, six inches in Pennsylvania, around Philly, four and a half inches near Albany, New York, and a whole inch in Boston. Newton, New Jersey recorded a record 32 inches, the highest total so far on the East Coast. Nazareth, Pennsylvania saw 31 inches. Harrison, New York, 24 and a half inches. And the National Weather Service is predicting an additional foot or more could be on the ground in parts of New England by the time the snow finally tapers off in the next couple of days. Travel is not recommended as the National Weather Service has warned of widespread heavy snow, very high gusty winds, and coastal impacts which are not likely to wind down until Thursday. Flights have been canceled at LaGuardia, JFK, and Newark's Liberty International. And they're expecting major to extreme impacts across the entire Northeast as global warming allegedly takes a short hiatus. Those blizzard-like conditions have forced many states in the region to close their coronavirus vaccination sites, delaying much-needed vaccines into the arms of Americans. <laughs> Can't get my COVID shot. In Connecticut, the governor said the storm forced the postponement of about 10,000 shots 
and has delayed the weekly supply of vaccines from arriving. Oh, the humanity of it all. This global warming's really, really making its presence known, isn't it? <laughs> global warming. A state of emergency was imposed by the New Jersey governor, Phil Murphy, and it remains in effect. And the six mega sites for COVID-19 vaccine implementation were closed as the snowplows began to roll. In Allentown, Pennsylvania, a 67-year-old woman with Alzheimer's died of hypothermia while wandering away from her home. In Adamstown, Maryland, a 64-year-old man died after a recycling services truck he was riding on overturned on an icy roadway. Two people, a 69-year-old woman and a 42-year-old woman, died in Pennsylvania in separate incidents on Sunday. The two women died in separate automobile crashes. And here's one. According to the Associated Press, three others, including a married couple in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, were killed after a dispute over snow removal. And the person suspected of killing the couple was found later with what authorities believe is a self-inflicted wound, according to the AP. Man, you got to remove that snow from off the sidewalk so I can walk past your house in this here blizzard. Man, I removed that snow when it stopped snowing, you heard? No, you gonna remove that snow right now, you heard? Man, go your crazy ass back inside where you came from. I'll kill you and your old lady if you don't remove that snow right now. Go ahead on, bruh. Kill me. Nah, y'all both dead, you heard? Oh, man. What I be done did? I done killed those two. Now I was going to kill myself from all this guilt. Possession of small amounts of heroin, methamphetamines, LSD, oxycodone, and other drugs will no longer serve as a reason for arrest in Oregon. This, after a ballot measure decriminalizing drugs, went into effect yesterday, Monday, February 1st. If you are found with what is described as personal use amounts of drugs, you would simply get a citation, you know, like a little traffic ticket. Not a criminal citation, just a little civil citation. This, according to Matt Sutton, a spokesman for the Drug Policy Alliance, a group that spearheaded the ballot initiative to pretty much decriminalize drugs. Today, the first domino of our cruel and inhumane war on drugs has fallen, setting off what we expect to be a cascade of other efforts centering health over criminalization. This, according to Cassandra Frederic, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. Those who supported ballot measure 110, which passed by a wide margin back in November, said that treatment should be the priority, not criminalization, because they say criminalizing drugs is not working. District attorneys in more than two dozen counties and cities disagree. They opposed the measure, calling it a reckless move that would lead to an increase in the acceptability of dangerous drugs. I guess they don't care if a drug addict is walking around higher than a kite because then they can simply use their other ballot measures to declare him 
mentally challenged in some way, shape, fashion, or form, and let criminals get away with more and more crime. As part of the measure, House Bill 110 will give addiction recovery centers additional funds to the tune of millions of dollars in tax revenue from the state's legalized marijuana industry. They will be charged with triaging the acute needs of people who use drugs and assessing and addressing any ongoing needs through intensive case management and linkage to care and services. Addiction recovery centers must be available by October 1st with one center established in each existing coordinated care organizational service area. The measure will shift some of the marijuana tax revenue funds away from schools and other social programs and entities that already receive it and will limit the amount of marijuana tax revenue that schools, mental health, alcoholism and drug services, the state police and the cities and counties receive at a tune of $45 million annually with all the rest going to a, quote, drug treatment and recovery services fund, unquote. Yep, they're going to take money away from the schools that teach children that drug use is bad and they're going to divert it to drug treatment units. This way, they can keep and perpetuate those drug treatment facilities, likely owned by people well tied to those politicians who pass the measures, no doubt, funded and well-funded for decades to come. Last year, during the pandemic, in the 2020 fiscal year, Marijuana tax revenues increased 30% over the previous year, dragging in $133 million in tax money, which was a 545% increase over 2016 when those pot taxes began being collected. With this new decriminalization, roughly 3,700 fewer Oregonians will now be convicted of felony or misdemeanor possession of controlled substances each year. They'll be allowed to roam the streets high as a kite, high on drugs, robbing, raping, killing, assaulting, looting, whatever other crime they commit. Because if they're high when they do it, they can simply say that they're homeless or that they're high and they'll get a free pass from convictions. Oh, you must be so proud in Oregon to live there. Not only are the leftists taking over your state, looting and burning your cities, destroying public property, attempting to defund law enforcement, or oh, they're defunding them all right. Basically now the $133 million worth of tax revenue from marijuana sales last year in Oregon, when that happens in 2021, only $45 million will be able to go to drug and alcoholism, mental health services, the state police, schools. The rest of it will go to these so-called drug treatment and recovery services funds and the organization's 
that suckle from the teat of those tax revenues. <laughs> Glad I don't live in Oregon, folks. We'll be right back. Come on, bro. Let's do some action, man. It's only a citation, bro. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. You have to ask yourself, why is the double standard so alive and kicking and why nothing is ever done to the left when they do egregious, illegal, immoral, unethical things and they're so quick to put people on the right behind bars. According to an article in CNN, Capital Rioters when people spotted a familiar face at the riots, they reported it to authorities. And that's true. But what the authorities did with that information varies greatly, whether or not the person was a BLM or Antifa or NFAC supporter, and whether they were a Donald Trump radical supporter. Not all supporters of Donald Trump are radical. Most of us are hardworking, tax-paying, conservative, common-sense-minded, thinking individuals. And yes, on every side of every argument, there's that one or a few really radical people who like to stir up the pot and see just how far they can push the envelope. When crowds at former President Donald Trump's rally allegedly stormed the Capitol weeks ago. We all know that it was a combination of BLM and Antifa people posing as Trump supporters, scattered in with a few radical Trump supporters. Hundreds of photos and videos were turned in to the FBI and local authorities. There were clips of crowds chanting, selfies inside the building, scattered papers on the floor, and yes, even a few broken windows. Nothing at all, of course, like the violence, the burning, the utter property destruction, the major assault and battery, the attacks on police officers, and all the other violence that occurred when the left did their riots in Portland, in Seattle, in St. Louis, in Louisville, in Kenosha, in Minneapolis, and other Democrat-controlled cities. Remember, the media... They just ignored those. But when a few people got inside the Capitol building, mostly by being led in by some Capitol police officers, and yes, there were a couple of broken windows. There were some papers scattered on the floor. There was a guy sitting in nasty Nancy Pelosi's desk with his feet propped up. But nothing at all when compared to those violent riots over in Portland. And now... The FBI and other law enforcement agencies are coming out and praising those who ratted out their friends, their relatives, their co-workers, their former lovers. According to the CNN article, Americans watched in horror as the Capitol building was taken under siege. It wasn't. A few people got inside and they knocked a few things around. There was no siege. There was no hostage situation. There was no violence other than a few broken this and a few broken that. The FBI is praising the colleagues, the friends, the family members who began pointing out the faces of people that they knew, that they had shared holidays with, 
and in the midst of a national security crisis, those people began ratting out their acquaintances to the federal and state and local officials. Pat McCaughey was charged with assaulting a police officer. He was seen on video getting crushed by the door and then screaming in pain. Well, he was reported to the FBI by someone claiming to have known him from childhood, according to court documents. Andrew Erickson, a 23-year-old man from Oklahoma, you notice that night, nice white-sounding name on both of these guys? This is all written as political theater. Andrew Erickson, a 23-year-old man from Oklahoma, was charged with two misdemeanors related to the riot after an acquaintance reported his social media live stream to authorities. Matthew Mazzocco, another white boy, was charged with knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted buildings or on grounds without lawful entry. And he was charged with violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds after a tipster told the federal agents that he had posted pictures at the Capitol on a Facebook youth page. After a public call for help, the FBI has now supposedly received more than 200,000 digital tips from the public. The assistant director in charge of FBI's Washington, D.C. field office said in late January, Some of you have recognized that this was such an egregious incident that you've turned in your own friends and family members. We know that those decisions are often painful, but you picked up the phone because it was the right thing to do. About 150 people have been charged by federal prosecutors in connection with the so-called insurrection. Court documents show at least two dozen of the cases involve tips to the FBI from people familiar with those they've turned in. Former romantic partners, old classmates, social media followers, siblings, neighbors. Some said they noticed a pattern of concerning behaviors before January 6th. Stop! Once again, proof that Donald Trump's speech did not incite any violence. I'll repeat that last line once again. Some who said they had noticed a pattern of concerning behaviors when? Before January 6th. When? Before January 6th. When? Before January 6th. Trump made his speech on January 6th, so it is unlikely that his speech incited anything. Unless, of course, Donald Trump can telepathically project his thoughts into people's minds in the past, prior to January 6th. According to the CNN article, among those who turn to authorities is 18-year-old Jackson Reffitt, who reported his own father. Guy Reffitt of Texas was charged with knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building or grounds without lawful authority and obstruction of justice. Investigators tracked his cell phone location and identified him in photographs that were taken at the Capitol. Jackson Reffitt, the son, told authorities that he heard his father admit he went to the U.S. Capitol to, quote, protect the country, unquote and that he brought his gun with him. So what? 
So what? The Second Amendment gives you the right to carry a gun for your own protections. According to an affidavit, the son said the dad told them the FBI was now watching him. The son also told investigators his father said he would do what he had to do if Jackson reported him to authorities. He said, supposedly, choose a side or die. And if I choose a certain side, I would cross a line and he would do something he didn't want to do. Probably disinherit your stinky little ass. You'd be out of the will for damn sure, I can promise you. Guy Reffitt supposedly also threatened his daughter, telling her that if she put his comments on social media, he would put a bullet through her phone. Ooh, violence against the cell phone! It must be a criminal act. He probably bought her the phone. He probably pays her damn cell phone bill. Nicole Reffitt, Guy Reffitt's wife, told CNN in a statement that she stands with her family. She called her husband a loving husband, devoted father, loyal friend, and passionate patriot. Nicole says, Many statements of my husband have been taken out of context. I want it to be clear that no one present during the conversation in question ever felt that they were in any danger or felt like they were being threatened. We have texts to prove this. Some were annoyed, she said, but they never feared for their safety. Our home has always been an open door for people who need a warm bed, peace, or a simple hug. Our home welcomes all people of all colors, faiths, beliefs, and opinions, her statement said. Guy, her husband in particular, listens to everyone and tries to understand all sides. Sarah, the 23-year-old daughter, told CNN her father would never harm or hurt anybody and that she feels betrayed by her brother Jackson's statements. She said, my dad is a good man who would always help another in need, no matter their political stance, religion, or ethnicity. Jackson Reffitt, the son, said on CNN, I feel disappointed in him for making that decision even at all to go up there and risk his life and endanger others and put his family in this situation. It might be my fault for talking to authorities, but I don't want to think that. He's an adult and he made his own decisions. Yeah, and he's going to make a decision to disown your sorry ass if he's a smart father. Another tip that came into the FBI was from Larry Brock's ex-wife. Brock was a retired Air Force Reserve officer. He walked into the Capitol wearing a green helmet and a green tactical vest with patches, with black and camouflage jacket and beige pants, holding a white flex cuff, usually used by law enforcement, to detain suspects, according to a release from the Department of Justice. His ex-wife, who probably hates him, says she recognized him in a picture. She told authorities, according to an affidavit, I just know that when I saw this was happening, I was afraid he would be there. I think you already know he was there. It's such a good picture of him, and I recognized his patch. Brock was charged with knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building or grounds without lawful authority. One count of violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. Where was this type of reporting, CNN, when people were arrested or simply not arrested and let go in the aftermath of destruction at federal court buildings in Seattle and Portland? and Minneapolis 
and Kenosha and St. Louis and Louisville and other Democrat-controlled cities? Why were your cameras off those days? Where were your reporters to ask these same questions? Where were your reporters to talk to anyone who might have turned in any of those insurrectionists, those looters, arsonists, rioters, destroyers of property, assaulters, and batterers of people? It is the double standard in your reporting and or lack of reporting, depending on which side of an issue, that creates the rift, the divide in our nation that we are seeing today. Javed Ali, a former senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council, said in the aftermath of all these international terrorism cases that we would see even people in the U.S. time and time again, the family members, the friends would say the same thing. I saw something that seemed out of the ordinary, but I didn't know what it meant or didn't know what it was, and I didn't want to confront that person. I think you're seeing the same phenomena play out here. Little Jackson Reffitt, the 18-year-old spoiled brat ultra-liberal child of Guy Reffitt, a conservative patriot who loves his country, said for the past four years he watched his father snowball, becoming more active online, more involved with groups, including far-right extremists. And according to an affidavit, someone with the name of Guy Reffitt previously posted a comment on a Texas Freedom Force website, which investigators claim is a militia extremist group. Jackson Reffitt said, he's been a lot more, I don't want to say aggressive, but a lot more scared. He would never say the stuff he did to me a couple of years ago. Not once would he even think about something like that. Sure, Jackson, the man probably saw a four-year coup attempt by far radical leftists by Democrats, socialists, trying to oust a duly elected president named Donald Trump from office by hook and by crook and by false allegations and phony impeachments and other illegal, unethical means that had tables been turned would certainly have been investigated and reported 24-7 nonstop. But the double standard is alive and kicking I wonder what Texas law says, little Jackson, about your daddy disowning you and cutting you out of the will. If I were daddy, that's exactly what I would do. You can claim that you love your father and you only did this for his own well-being and protection. But what you did was disgraceful to the family unit and to our liberty as a free nation. And to you at CNN and other news outlets who failed to report this same story about people ratting out their friends and Antifa and BLM and NFAC groups that did all of that violence that you claimed was so-called peaceful protesting, shame, shame on you. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And of course, finally today, politics takes a front seat in the Nobel Peace Prize nominations this year with brokering record-setting peace deals in the Middle East 
doing something no president has been able to do in the 60-plus years of trying. Former President Donald Trump fostered peace deals in the Middle East with several countries and Israel. And yet his name is notably missing from the top of the potential winners of this year's Nobel Peace Prize. Odds makers, yes, people do bet on who's going to win Nobel Prizes. Gambling is prevalent throughout our society here and around the world. The odds makers say the odds on favorites this year are either Russian dissident Alexei Navalny, the World Health Organization itself, and that nasty little Greta Thunberg. They're the top three picks all backed by Norwegian lawmakers who have a track record over the years of picking the winner. Thousands of people from members of parliament worldwide to former winners are eligible to propose candidates to the Nobel Selection Committee. Those nominations which close on Sunday do not imply an endorsement from the Nobel Committee. However, Norwegian lawmakers have nominated the eventual winner every year since 2014, except for 2019. The pattern from recent years is quite stunning, according to Henrik Erdl, director of the Peace Research Institute at Oslo. Nominators can choose to reveal their picks, and they don't have to. According to a Reuters survey of Norwegian lawmakers, nominees included Thunberg, Navalny, the WHO, the United Nations Refugee Agency, NATO, and former President Donald Trump have been nominated by one person or another, but according to the odds makers, have little chance of winning. Of course, this is a global prize, so not always does someone from the United States win, but certainly through his historic efforts in Middle East peace brokering, Trump should at least be at the top of the contenders list, but he won't be, and that's the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. That's going to wrap up this morning's edition of the February 2nd Groundhog Day Truth Hurts program. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, tell a friend. If you didn't, turn it off. But whatever you do, go out there today and make it a great day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. If you don't like what you hear, just stop listening. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. If our opinion or content offends you, we apologize, but we retract nothing. We do not own the rights to any pre-recorded audio presented during this episode. Those rights remain the intellectual property of the originators. This program is copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts Network. Background music courtesy of Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program was produced in cooperation with Studio 63 and Steve Knight Productions. We'll see you next time.